So we're in a, last week we started a six-week series, I hope it's going to be six weeks, we'll see, uh, on David's tabernacle, and um, we called it On Earth As It Is In Heaven, um, and uh, so last week I spoke about God's plan to dwell with man, and I literally just did a quick overview of from Genesis to Revelation, the heart of God, the tabernacle, why, why, were the, why was there these, these points, these places where heaven and earth would touch? Uh, and what was God's plan all along? And we see that God's plan is to dwell with man, that God is preparing a bride for his glory. And, uh, you know, we, we have movements on the earth now where it's like, no, we, you know, it's not about ro- filling rooms with people. I'm like, I get it. It's about filling people with God. But I promise you, when people get filled with God, they want to be in a room together. <laughs> That's just what happens. It's his body. It's his bride. And, and there is this beautiful thing called the order and the pattern of his government um, that uh, when we pray on earth as it is in heaven, we're not just praying for signs and wonders. When we pray on earth as it is in heaven, we're not just praying for good times. We're actually praying in the kingdom and the government and the lordship of Christ through the church on the earth. And so we began to to unpack that a little bit last week, but I'm going to get to that. Um, So can I just say, don't send me emails until you've listened to the whole six weeks. Um, (laughs) My email is jane at 247church. we're excited about what's, what's coming, what's happening. I promise you, uh, this will change your perspective. It'll change everything. It's really changed mine. It's got me really excited. Um, we were singing about the zeal of the Lord today. And I said it in the beginning, something happens when you touch His zeal. When it's not your zeal, it's His zeal. And you get filled with His zeal for His house. I said this last week. I'll say it again. He didn't say, um, you know, a zeal for the world or a zeal for um, the kingdom or even a zeal for ministry or a zeal. He said a zeal for His house because through His house comes His kingdom. Through His house comes the ministry of the Holy Spirit. Through His house comes evangelism and the prophetic and the apostolic and through His house. And so the reality is, you know, I always say Jesus will find you anywhere, but where will you find Jesus? You'll find him in the midst of his bride, in the midst of his church. Revelations 1 shows us that there's a man in the midst of the lampstands. Imperfect lampstands that still have things that he's speaking into. You see the letters, the seven letters, he's speaking to the church and he's saying, there's things that I want to change. There's things that I want. This is actually a journey. I'm forming, I'm creating, I'm preparing a bride, but I will be found in the midst of her. Are you with me? Man, I'm excited. Okay, so, so today in worship, I don't know if you, maybe if this is your first time here, you were going like, okay, that was weird. We started singing in Spanish, and we're in South Africa. Why are we singing in Spanish? It's because Miguel's here. No, I'm joking. Uh, <laughs> but uh, we, we, as a church, we've been on this journey. It makes me emotional because it's beautiful, and the Lord is so wonderful. We went on this journey of saying, Lord, we don't want to just go after being successful. In fact, man, this is the thing as a leader. I've, I've, I find myself in this tension often of like, wow, Lord, you know, what could we, we should be doing things better. And, you know, you hear something of like something that we didn't maybe do so well as a church. And then as a leader, you carry that and you go like, oh, we should have done that better. And, and I keep coming back to this place with the Lord and going, I want to ask the right questions. And these are the right questions. What do you want, Lord? What are you coming back for? You're coming back for a bride. What does she look like? You're coming back for a bride. What does she sound like? You're coming back for a community, for a church, for a bride, for a body, for a dwelling place. What does she do? And that question cuts me to the heart every time in the most beautiful and tender way because suddenly I remind myself that we as the church do not exist for ourselves. Can I say this? We don't even exist for people. 
The byproduct of ministering to a God who is love is that people get touched, healed, delivered, restored, made whole. That's the love of God. But our job is actually to exist for Him. And when you carry His heart, that's what the byproduct of a God who is love is that the world is transformed by that love. You carry it. It's not something you try to do. It's who you are. The love of God is, is the, the nature of God inside of you is becoming who we are. And so it's not difficult to love people. I always say that, you know, people come, well, what does 24-7 church do for the poor? And I go, what do you do for the poor? Because you're 24-7 church. It's the love of God that's lived out. That's why our statement is love lived out. But we, we've, we went after God's heart and we said, okay, God, we found ourselves in these times of worship. We would pray, Lord, give us your heart. Give us your heart. And suddenly, what happened was not what we expected. You know, when you pray, God, give me your heart, you, you kind of, what we're thinking is, God, give me your heart for me. Like, give me a heart from you, Lord. I, oh, I love the way that you love me, Lord. And that's beautiful, and that's a great starting place. But when you press into that prayer, it's a dangerous prayer. It's the most beautiful, wild, crazy prayer. I'll tell you why. Because suddenly you start to think about people and places and faces that you just never even cared about before. Suddenly the church comes back to a created destiny and mandate, and she begins to carry this heart to see the glory of God cover the earth. Suddenly it's about, yes, God, we want to enthrone you in Johannesburg. We want to see the glory, the government of your kingdom established in our city, but it must touch the ends of the earth. When I got up to preach, my, one of my, I keep this in my Bible to remind me, but this little piece of paper fell out and it's got the stats. You know, people, I always talk about the 1040 window. If you don't know what that is, it's a whole region of unreached nations. And uh, it's like 3.2 billion people that haven't heard his name. Right now, we're, we're dreaming and praying with our friends about places like Eastern Turkey that's got this reputation as the church planting graveyard because nobody can get anything going there. And God's giving strategy to His church. And do you know what the strategy is? It's David's tabernacle. And you say, what is that? It's worship. There's a sound that's released that begins to shift and change the government of that region. And suddenly you see these people, two, three people in a room in the Middle East, exalting Jesus, worshiping Jesus night and day, day and night. And suddenly people start to have dreams and visions of the man in white with holes in his hands who leads them to these specific locations. They come and knock on the door and say, I was told to come here because of this dream that I had and that you would tell me who he is. I'm not making this stuff up. We go to the Middle East and, uh, and this is what we, what we hear. This is what we see. We go there and we go, okay, how can we serve? And they go, here's a guitar, sing. <laughs> and so what, what was happening today is we began to tap into the sound <sighs> that's covering the earth right now. It's the song of the bride. It's the song of the lamb. It's the, it's the groan. You know, beginning of this year, we started out, we began to speak about the return of Jesus. And we said, man, why, why don't we talk about this enough as the church? Because the reality is the, the, the second coming of Jesus should shape everything that we view life through. It's the lens that we view life. I'm living for the moment that he comes back. I'm aching for him. I'm lovesick for him. I'm not afraid of him coming back. I'm, I'm expecting, I'm living for that moment. That, the reality of that moment defines my decisions. Should I take this business deal? Well, how does it affect that moment? Are you with me? Why, why would you go, why would you take your wife or take your family and go into war zones, into the Middle East? and into? The, why would you do that? Because I'm looking unto a moment where I'll stand before the King of glory. I'll look into his eyes. And the thing is this, he has a dream. And we spoke about it last week. He has a dream that he's going to fulfill. 
the cross and the resurrection was not the end of the gospel. <laughs> Are you with me? We preached the gospel up to that point, and then he raised, and then he put his spirit in you, and come on, go and just enjoy God, you know? And that's beautiful, and yes, enjoy God, but do you realize that you're living for the second coming, that he's returning, and when he returns, we will be in, with him in fullness. And so last week, I unpacked the Garden of Eden, Moses' tabernacle, David's tabernacle, Solomon's temple, Zerubbabel's temple, Herod's temple, and then Jesus. And Jesus came and he created us as living stones filled with the Holy Spirit to come together as a dwelling place. But we're actually living unto Revelations 21, 22. We're living unto the new Jerusalem, a bride that descends where God, they will say God's with man, God dwells with man. There's not going to be a building that you go into. We are the building. I don't know if you understand that. It's like, it rocks me when people go, it's not about buildings. I'm like, well, we need somewhere to gather. And when it rains, it would be nice to be under a roof, right? So yeah, it's not about the building, as you can see. Luckily, we covered the geezer and things like that, you know, so you can't see it. But the reality is we just need a place to get together. But this, you and me together, that's the building. That's the dwelling place. And what I want you to know today, and we shared this last week, and I'm going to launch from this platform, is this. The government of God is carried and outworked and administrated on the shoulders of the priesthood, which is you and me through Jesus. That the government of God on the earth is lived out through the church. It's the ecclesia. It's not just about gathering. It's a governmental gathering. We need a change of government on the earth. And the problem is we keep looking to the political structures of the age, going like, oh, can we just find one that works? No, you can't. They're all flawed. <laughs> right? We need a change. Gavin loves this. This is, this is his bread and butter. We need a change in government. Do you know where it starts? I shared this, that Jesus, He was, was the, the tabernacle of God, the sanctuary of God in the flesh. Do you understand that? He carried the glory of God in a human body, and then what He did is He made a way for us to become that. And when we come together, there's something so powerful about the church. When you're carrying the glory of God, Holy Spirit's not just this vibe and this little whisper in you sometimes helps you when He feels like it. The glory that we see in the Old Testament can only be expressed through the Holy Spirit. He's the person of the Trinity that manifests God. And so when you see fire fall on the temple, when you see lightnings and thunder and glory on the, on the mountain and you see God move in this way, that's the Spirit of God that's now inside of you. That's the, that's the level of His glory and His government that's upon your life. And the reality is He is so beautiful and so tender and so in love with you that He will force nothing upon you. And so God restrains himself inside of you and waits for your yes. And so when we sing, I will love you with my yes, we have no idea what we're saying because when you say yes, the fullness of his glory begins to be manifested. Now picture those people together in a room worshiping Jesus. Oof. Ah, I get fired up. And so I want to talk about David's tabernacle. David is this incredible man. I believe that, that the bride of Christ carries a heart like David. That the bride Jesus is coming back for carries a heart like David. Why David? Well, David, we know, was a type and a, and a sign, a witness. Isaiah 55, I think it is, calls David a witness unto Jesus. He's a type that shows us there is one coming who's greater than all of us, and he's beautiful, and he's, and, and he, and he's coming, and he's going to rule on the throne of David. God decides to name all of this stuff after this man who decided even in the law, in an old covenant, he tapped into the heart of God and realized, God, you actually want to be with us. 
And so up until this point, we know, I shared this, I'm going to just do a refresher here, but we know that, that only the Levites could minister, right? That was not God's plan, not God's heart. The first thing he said to Moses was tell all of Israel that there are a nation of priests, a kingdom of priests. God's desire was for all of Israel to come up onto Mount Sinai. And Israel rejected him and said, no, no, you do it. You do it, you come back and tell us. How much of the church is still doing that today? I come to church, you go up, you hear from God, and then you give me some tips on how to live life. And we've got hundreds of thousands, millions of people filling auditoriums that don't know Him. And God's, that's not God's plan. Now listen to me, the messenger is vital. But it's not God's dream. The messenger, the one who comes and brings the invitation, it's vital. It's, they're anointed by God, but it's not his dream just to have a bunch of messengers. He wants a family. He wants a bride that will live in his glory. <clears throat> and so we see, we get to David, and David does this interesting thing. He becomes king, and he inherits a kingdom that's falling apart. Right? Saul, he lived for 20 years under Saul's leadership. It's a kingdom that, that left the ark in a field. No God, no presence, just the grind, success, empire, build your empire, do what you got to do, success, money, let's rule and reign and do our thing. It's the nature of man. And David is this boy in the fields that God chose. And why did God choose David? Because David's sitting there with a couple sheep with no ambition other than to love God. That's it. Little shepherd boy with some sheep being faithful with what is in his hand and just loving God, writing things like Psalm 23. In the fields, no ambition, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. Learning how to be with him, learning how to cultivate his presence, learning how to sing to him. David was, was learning to live in the glory of God in the fields when no one was looking. Where do you think David caught God's heart? How did David know that God wanted man in his glory? I think as David went there. So David becomes king. He inherits a fallen, messed up kingdom. And guess what he does? Can you imagine? If I became king, it would be like, okay, first things first, let's get the military together. Let's get some order. Let's get some laws. Let's get some structure. Let's get this thing flowing again right, you know? No, what he does is he goes, okay, first order of business as king of Israel is this. Let's go get the ark. Let's go get his presence. Let's put his presence back at the center of our kingdom. And what he does is he goes and fetches it. I shared this last week. The first thing they do is they put it on a cart. Man's attempt to carry God's presence. And when it begins to tip, Uzzah puts his hand out to stop it, and he dies. And David is grieved, and he goes, wow, hold on a second. I'm just trying to bring your presence back. Why did he have to die? What's happening here? And there's three months where they leave it in Obed-Edom's Obed house, and they don't touch the ark, and David is he's in fear, and he's seeking the Lord. And suddenly he remembers that the presence of the Lord is meant to be carried on the shoulders of the Levites. And so he gets the Levites and goes, oh, I remember we're meant to carry his presence. We are, not carts, us. And so they get the presence, the ark, they put it on their shoulders, and every six steps they make a sacrifice to the Lord, slow and steady. That's how we carry the glory of the Lord. We walk with him, we sacrifice a praise. We walk with him, a sacrifice of praise. Our lives as living sacrifices before the Lord. That's how we carry his glory. Then, I, like I said earlier, he begins to dance, and he sings Psalm 24. You can go there real quick. He sings Psalm 24, and he begins to dance. The king, 
of Israel begins to dance violently before all the people, setting the example. Here's the role of, of leadership. Be a vision of worship. Because that's the one thing we'll be doing for all of eternity. I try, you know, I try sometimes to like just be dignified and just look like you actually know what you're doing. No, just get wrecked, man. Just, just give everything to him. He's worthy of everything. So David begins to, to dance. But this is the psalm that they sang as they're bringing the ark. And I want to just say this. David was the only king in history to this day who put the Ark of the Covenant on Mount Zion, the physical Mount Zion. Every other temple, every other tabernacle was on Mount Moriah, even to this day. But David was the only king who put it on the physical Mount Zion, in a tent with no veil. I don't know if you catch that. David removed the veil. He was a type of Jesus. What did Jesus do? He removed the veil. David so understood God's heart that the fear of the Lord provoked David to come closer, not further away. Here's the thing. Israel saw the glory of God on Mount Sinai, and they were afraid of Him, and they withdrew and stepped away and said, Moses, you go. David saw the glory of the Lord. He was in the fields with God, and he learned that God actually wants him. The invitation has come into my glory, and David said yes. Do you understand the power of your yes? David said yes, and David's yes opened up a realm and a, and a covenant with God in the midst of, of an old covenant reality under the law where Israel could come before his presence without a veil and not die. He took the veil away and said, all of Israel, come. Can you imagine being Israel and going like, but Uzzah just touched it and died. Now you want to take the veil away and say, let's come and dance around it? It's wild. It's gutsy. It's bold. And so here's what he says. Verse 3. Who may ascend unto the mountain of the Lord? It's busy. They're going up. They're carrying the ark up onto Mount Zion. And this is what they're singing. Who may ascend? They are ascending. Just so you understand this. It's not, he's not saying this like, well, we can't, so who's going to do it? They're busy going up Mount Zion. And this is what they're singing. Who may ascend unto the mountain of the Lord? And who may stand in his holy place? Now he's about to prophesy Jesus. He who has clean hands and a pure heart, who has not lifted up his soul to what is false, nor has sworn deceitfully, he shall receive a blessing from the Lord and righteousness from the God of his salvation. David is not making that statement to say, hey, all of Israel, when you get this, you can come up. That's not what he's saying. He's prophesying Jesus. He's saying it's God's heart for us to come up into his glory. Who may ascend? Well, there's one who's worthy and we're stepping into this dream. We don't even know the fullness of it. We don't even know what it's going to look like, but we know it's God's heart for us to be in there and he's making a way. And so they begin to ascend. It says this is the generation or the description of those who diligently seek him and require him as their greatest need, who seek your face, even as did Jacob. Psalm 24-7, we love this verse as a house, mainly because... 24-7. Lift up your heads, O gates. Do you see what David's doing? He's singing a song that's showing Israel that they're, they're actually the vehicle for his glory. He's prophesying. Lift up your heads, O gates, and be lifted up ancient doors, that the King of glory may come in. David is prophesying that God wants to be in you, not just near you. Already. Do you see how David saw this? And then he does this. Now, he's just become king. This is the first thing he does. And then he asks this question as he's singing to Israel, who is this king of glory? In other words, he's going, not me. 
David is automatically straight away, right from the beginning, establishing the government of God over Israel. He's saying, this is your king. Worship him. Who is this king of glory? Not me. He's the Lord, strong and mighty. The Lord, mighty in battle. Lift up your heads, O gates, and lift them up ancient doors, that the king of glory may come in. Who is he then? This king of glory, the Lord of hosts. He is the king of glory. David's prophesying this, this psalm. Now, in Psalm 63, in fact, I'm going to go there really quick. Let's, let's go to Psalm 63. Verse 2. So I have gazed upon you in the sanctuary to see your power and your glory. David is singing a song and he's saying, I've actually seen the Lord in his sanctuary. Well, what do you think he's talking about? I don't think he's talking about the tent. See, we see it in the garden. We see it with Moses. Now we're seeing it with David. They saw something, and they saw that pattern, and they replicated it on the earth. Are you with me? Why did the tabernacle look the way it did? They saw a pattern, and they replicated it on the earth. David looked upon the throne room of heaven, He looked upon the Lord in his sanctuary, saw the glory of God, the government of God, the pattern of his glory, and replicated it on the earth. David understood that God wants that and the earth to become one. I said this last week, Zion is mentioned 161 times in the Bible. More than two-thirds of it you can't tell whether he's talking about heaven or earth. And I asked the Lord the question. I said, Lord, (laughs) is is it heaven or is it earth? Yes. God doesn't differentiate between heaven and earth. Zion, to the Lord, is the heavenly saints, the earthly saints, and the angelic host, one bride, one body, for all of eternity. Promise you. Go study your Bibles. It's there. So Revelations 4 gives us a glimpse into what John saw. Before John saw heaven, David saw heaven. So did Moses. Right? You can take a deep breath, it's okay. It's not heresy. John sees Revelations 4, and he says something so beautiful as he begins to describe, he writes it out, and he describes there are these four living creatures, right, who are around the throne, these seraphim. We see a glimpse of them in Isaiah 6 as well. But they're around the throne, and they're covered in eyes, and they never stop crying out, holy. If you study Revelations 4, you begin to see these are like the worship leaders of heaven, because they're just right there around the throne just crying out holy and they're covered in eyes. I said in the prayer, the prayer before the service, I was like, I'm so glad I only have two because I, I, when I try and picture that, I don't know if you've seen some artists like draw these creatures, it freaks me out. I'm like, I don't even want to know. When we get to heaven, we'll see. But can you imagine being covered in eyes, your existence and your being is simply to see him. That's, that's what they exist for. They exist around the throne to see him, and they cry out one word, and every time they see him, it's like they saw him for the first time. See, when we think that it's going to be boring to be in heaven, we underestimate the glory of God. If there's living creatures covered in eyes that never stop seeing, and all they can say is holy, it's like you're seeing God for the first time all the time. And so we see these four living creatures with eyes. Let me just drop this quick revelation here. Why is it so powerful? Why is it different when we worship together? See, when it's just me and my room, there's only two eyes. How many eyes are in this room? 
When we worship Jesus, I get to see how you see him. And I go, holy. And then I get to see how my mom sees me, holy. And then Richard, holy. And then suddenly we're, everybody's seeing Jesus and something is shifting in the room because there's an expression of holy and it's like the first time we're seeing him. It's heaven on the earth. It's the environment of the throne room of God. It's his government coming to earth. Why? Because Jesus is being revealed. So we see these four, and then we see 24 elders. Now, if you study, we know that this is human elders in heaven. They're not like other weird creatures with like just legs, you know. <laughs> They're actually humans, and they throw their crowns down, and they cry out, worthy. Now, listen to this, 1 Chronicles 25. This is when David is establishing Worship in the tabernacle. It starts off, it says, Moreover, David and the commanders of the army selected for the temple service some of the sons of Asaph, Heman, and Jejuthun, who were to prophesy with lies and harps and cymbals. First thing, David himself and three others, Asaph, Heman, and Jejuthun, are appointed as worship leaders for the tabernacle. Four. Okay, interesting. David's one of them. David, again, he's a picture type of Jesus, pointed to Jesus. He's a king and he's a priest. Are you seeing this? And he points three others. Now there's four that are going to be the worship leaders in this tabernacle. And then if you read the rest of 25 for the sake of time, I'm just going to skip it. But basically, the, the worshipers, that ends up being 4,000 that are employed, and they get split into 24 groups. Why? Why four main worship leaders and worship teams split into 24 groups? What did he see? If he gazed upon the Lord in his sanctuary, he saw the government of God and he took the pattern. See, the government of God is split into three things, presence, power, and pattern. Pattern ways, the ways of God, right? So David sees something of how heaven operates and he goes, that's what we're going to do. We want to see that on the earth. It's God's heart that these two things would touch. And he begins to prophesy in the Psalms and in his writings, begins to prophesy of this coming Messiah who will bring the fulfillment of that dream. So you see, for worship leaders, 24 worship teams. Let me ask you this question. Do you think, which one, which one came first, 24 elders or 24 hours in a day? Interesting thought. It's just a thought. See, let me blow your mind with this. Revelations 11, 19 actually says that the Ark of the Covenant is in heaven, in the throne room. You're looking at me like, and? Here's the thing. It was in heaven before there was one on earth. There was an Ark in heaven before there was one on the earth. I refuse, some people have this idea that the ark just disappeared and went to heaven somewhere. I refuse to believe that. I believe that the ark on the earth was a type of what was happening in heaven. It was, a, it was the replication of heaven on the earth. But we see that there's actually an ark in heaven, in the throne room of God. So why am I saying that? I'm saying, I think, heaven came first, amen, and earth is groaning and crying out for that reality. And so David, 
establishes a tabernacle. He employs over 4,000 worshipers that worship him 24-7 for 33 years as long as he's king. And from David onwards, there were seven, I think it's seven, seven revivals and all seven kings. The way that revival came was when they came back to this pattern. When worship and prayer filled the house, revival came. Why do you think Amos 9.11, Malachi 1.11 prophesies that David's tabernacle will be rebuilt in the end and that incense will rise in every place on the earth? Why? It's the dream of God. So I go, people go, so what, must we get four worship leaders and then 24 worship teams? I'm like, I think that'd be a good start. I don't know about you. I'm practical. I look at that and go, yeah, I think that's a good idea, actually. But it's more than that. It's not just about a room where that happens. It's about incense rising in every place. Because listen to what happens in Acts chapter 15. Acts chapter 15 is so interesting. This is when they they have their first kind of argument (laughs) about the Gentiles. If you're not a Jew, you're a Gentile, right? So, in other words, Gentiles is everyone else. It's you and me. So there's this argument about, you know, the Gentiles are getting saved. Antioch has happened. You know how much I love Antioch. Antioch has happened, and, and Gentiles are getting saved, and God's moving, and suddenly they're going like, well, they should be circumcised. And Paul and Barnabas are going, no, 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 man, you're missing the point. You're coming back to the, these, this old wineskin. That's not what God's saying right now. God wants to cover the earth. There's a, the prophetic word is being fulfilled. It's God's dream. And they're having this. And it says uh, in the beginning of um, chapter 15, verse 2, Paul and Barnabas disagreed greatly and debated with them. So it was determined that Paul and Barnabas and some of the others from their group would go up to Jerusalem to the apostles and elders concerning this issue. So they get sent up. And listen to this, verse 6 and 7. The apostles and the elders came together to consider this matter. After a long debate, Peter got up and then said to them. This was not, sometimes the Bible kind of downplays things, right? You you read it so quickly, but this was a a massive debate. This was an argument. This was like, there was some tension. There was some stuff going on. And yet the Bible chooses only to record three people. And that's Peter, Paul, and James. And, and listen, I mean, you can, you can read the rest, but listen to what James brings to their attention. Verse 13, when they had finished speaking, James replied, Brothers, listen to me. Simon Peter has described how God first concerned himself about taking from among the Gentiles a people for his name, to honor him and be identified with him. The words of the prophets agree with this, just as it is written in Scripture. After these things, I will return and I will rebuild the tent of David, which has fallen. I will rebuild its ruins and I will restore it so that the rest of mankind may seek the Lord. And all the Gentiles upon whom my name has been invoked, says the Lord, who has been making these things known from long ago. Oh, I don't know if you realize what just happened. God just put the government of His glory and the Great Commission in one prophetic word. Jesus prophesied Mark 11. We see that Jesus says, My house will be called a house of prayer for all nations. God has a design and a desire for His house to be a bride that carries His glory that would be ministering to Him, enthroning Him 24-7, 365, till Jesus comes. Why? Because it's the touching place between heaven and earth, on the earth, 
And from that place is going to come an awakening and a groan and a stirring and a motivation and a zeal and a fire to be obedient to the Great Commission that from this place we will reproduce heaven across the earth. And we will not just be singing in 24-7 or in Johannesburg or in certain cities, but in every place incense will rise. Are you seeing what I'm seeing? Something happens... See, I I don't believe it's possible for you to see the glory of God and not burn for the nations. I'm just called to the prayer room. Well, you won't be there very long. I'm just being honest. It's in the prayer room that God grips your heart for these places and goes, I want to multiply. I want to reproduce heaven. I want to see the government of God established on the earth. I want to see every tribe, every tongue, every language, every nation come together and sing one song, one sound before the throne. See, it's this model that shifts things for the church because in the beginning of this year, you would have heard me talk about the 24-7 lifestyle. It has nothing to do with the fact that just our name is 24-7. I believe it's actually a 24-7 lifestyle. It's a priestly rhythm of life ministering to the Lord in and out of that place of corporate gatherings of worship and prayer and ministry to the Lord where we are no longer Sunday-centric. Sundays is like the war room. Sundays is where we get together and we say, right, are you ready? Let's take it to a whole new level. Are you ready? Let's, Monday morning, let's make sure we're equipped with everything we need to step out into the darkness and bring the light. That's what Sundays are for. It's for that and it's for enthroning Him, ministering to Him. But if all we have to give is our two hours on a Sunday, the rest of our life is given to something. You know, I've had people say to me, prayer rooms don't work in Joburg. <laughs> I just go like, I don't care. Because it's in heaven and it must be here. We shouldn't call the church a house of prayer. Well, Jesus called it that. Just because there's been a misrepresentation, I mean, there's been a misrepresentation of the church, should we stop calling the church the church? God is redeeming His house in such a way that the local church and the prayer rooms are becoming one place, one movement, where yes, we get together on Sundays and we we preach the gospel and we see people equipped and, and made ready. Why? So that we can go out and get people saved and see people discipled. And from that place, they can come into this environment where we've created a dwelling place together, where regularly, day and night, the believers get together to enthrone Him, where His glory comes, where visions and dreams are breaking out over cities. You know, I've had conversations with the leaders, and they say to me, Connor, you know, you go to the Middle East, and you have these conversations, and you hear about hundreds of thousands of Muslims encountering the Lord through dreams and visions. Why isn't it happening in our cities? Why isn't it happening in the West? Why don't we see it in the West? And this is my my response now as I've studied it. How many hours? How many hours of prayer and worship are you doing? And you go, well, that's a striving thing. No, that's abiding. Are you with me? Oh, you know, why does that happen then? It doesn't happen here. Because we've given ourselves to other lovers. See, when, I'll get emotional when I talk about this, but we have friends who give their lives, go to these rough places, and I was so underwhelmed, actually, when I got there. We met these people, I end up in the prayer room, and I was in this like, underground room in this street. You wouldn't even know it's there. And there's like six people, just 
worshipping. And it's not even, the music's not even that good. In fact, I didn't even feel much. And yet, it's little places like that with guys who can just play three chords. But those three chords, it's like a nuclear bomb in the spirit. And something is shifting. You see, you go, why are these nations so difficult? Well, five times a day, a foreign god is being exalted. And the climate is being shifted, and there's this stronghold over a region. And then we want to come in and do street evangelism. And we wonder why we go there, and three months later, we're in jail. <laughs> and I'm, I'm for street evangelism. I'm for get on the street, preach the gospel. But I promise you, it's got to be His power, His strength, His government, His glory. Because the, 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 the most successful right now strategy, we're hearing it, not just in the Middle East, but North Africa and in Asia. The successful strategy that's working is prayer and worship as an evangelism tool. <laughs> and I go like, maybe we got it all wrong thinking that those were separate things. Maybe we never understood that we're the temple. And so if I cultivate a priestly rhythm of life corporately, when I come away from that place, I am a walking temple of the Lord. And when I now begin to go and share the gospel with people, guess what I'm carrying? The government of His glory, the same glory that we see manifest in the Old Testament is now inside of me. And when I give Him my yes, He can move in a supernatural way that's going to bring people to Jesus. And they come away encountering Him and not just my gifting. See, people go like, why are we talking about David's tabernacle? It's the dream of God. It changes everything. We've had people go, man, I, I just, I want to be more equipped. Like, you need to give me more equipping. I'm like, what you want is for your gifting to be exalted. That's what you want. You want me to flatter your gifting and give you tools on how you can make your gifting better. But your gifting is to serve the house. Because it's a zeal for his house that consumes him, not a zeal for your gifting. So when I lay my gifting on the altar and I say, Lord, let it be unto your glory, then suddenly he can use that as a vehicle for his government and his glory and his kingdom on the earth. Now, when I'm obedient to the Holy Spirit because I've given him my yes and I step out in boldness, David's tabernacle that's being rebuilt and we'll see the, the fullness of it when Jesus comes back. But now that is being expressed through the hands and feet of Jesus, through the body. People are getting saved, but guess what? They're not just saying a prayer. They're not just having uh, an experience of, wow, I got healed. They're getting saved into the glory of God, the government of God, the kingdom of God, the family of God. Do you get what I'm saying? I'm telling you, every time I go, yeah, there's always a bit of a freak out, but let's talk about it for a second. Mental health. Do you want to know, I believe, one of the answers that will break this pattern, this lie, and I, man, I've been there. Please hear me. I don't talk about mental health like it's just some casual thing. It's very real. I've been there. I've been in the dark places, but there's something that breaks that pattern that's the grace of God. It's the glory of God. It's the blood of Jesus. But here's the thing. You need to learn to change the pattern of your life. Because the reality is, people have an encounter with Jesus and they realize that they don't have to live with mental health problems. But the thing is, the pattern is they are so used to living under the command of mental health. Mental health has been Lord for so long. Depression and anxiety have been Lord for so long. 
Addiction has been Lord for so long that even though I had a moment where I felt Him minister freedom to me, I haven't learned that the pattern of my life changes now because He's Lord. The, the whole point of David's tabernacle is that He's enthroned. Is He enthroned in your life? Is He Lord? Is He at the center of your life? Is He enthroned in your life? See, people who enthrone Jesus don't have a problem with 24-7 prayer and worship. It's people who don't want to enthrone Jesus, who are afraid of His Lordship, don't want Him to be Lord. That's going to change my life. It's people like that that go, why would you, do to, why would you need that? You don't need that. That's, that's a waste. Why would David spend all the taxpayers' money on employing 4,000 musicians? That's silly. No, but when he's Lord, there's a zeal, and it's not your zeal. What drove David to do that? It's not David's zeal. It's not David's passion. He tapped into the zeal of God, and he prophesied in the Psalms, a zeal for his house consumes you. So, when you enthrone Jesus, suddenly you come into that place of the finished work of the cross that's not just to liberate you, it's also to empower you to be what God's created you to, to be. Are you with me? Sons and daughters, it's, when, we, when we talk about sons and daughters, well, sons and daughters of who? The ancient of days. We're not just, you know, we talk about sons and daughters like, yeah, my papa, you know, he's a good guy, takes care of me, sorted things out for me, and I get to go be in heaven. And I call him papa, and I love that. He's dad. He, I, lo I love that. He loves that place of intimacy. But he's the ancient of days. Are you with me? He's the ancient of days. Time exists in him. He's my dad. When we talk about Jesus, he's not just my brew. He's the king of glory. He's the one who when Moses is crying out, show me your glory, and God says, I can't let you see my face because you'll die, but I'll show you. What's... Guess what he saw? He saw the, the, the behind, the, the, he saw the, the back of Jesus. That's what he saw. God has chosen to reveal himself through his son. John goes into this encounter, Revelation. Who does he see? There's one in the midst of the lampstands, in the throne, in this beautiful glory cloud, in this crazy, wild environment, and he looks like the Son of Man. He's got fire in his eyes. His hair is white like wool. His feet like burnished bronze. He's radiating. <laughs> Do you see, like, when you see him, this makes sense. It's like, well, of course. And I, I believe that when we change the pattern of our lives according to the government of heaven, when people who have been touched and set freed from addiction and mental health and all these things that have come and attacked our minds and changed the way that we've lived according to other lovers, people have fallen in love with mental health problems. Now we just justify it and we just explain. I'm going, man, why, why am I passionate about this? Not because I have no sympathy for people with mental health problems. I've been there. My heart breaks for them, but I'm telling you that posting videos about it and doing this stuff is not going to free you. It's the government of His glory that's going to set you free. You were not born for anxiety. You were not born for depression. You were not born for all these things. You were born for Him. And so this is why the pattern changes when you can wake up at 3 o'clock in the morning and maybe the lie of the enemy comes and you can go, guess where I'm going? I'm going to go to the prayer room and I'm going to get on my face and I'm going to exalt Jesus. I wasn't going to sleep anyway. 
Suddenly, when the enemy pokes you, guess what happens? Jesus gets glorified. And every time that thing comes, every time he pokes at you, every time the lie comes, and let me tell you, the, the, the enemy, the accuser, it's real. I, I still journey this stuff, man. I, I get it. But when he realizes that every time he throws that thing at you, what happens is you exalt Jesus, man, it just backfires on him. Let me just make you worried about that business situation. Jesus, you're Lord of my life, and I thank you that you will have your glory whether I get this thing or not. Thank you that I will live for your glory. And the enemy's like, shucks. See, eventually he's got to stop poking you because the more he pokes you, the more you glorify Jesus. Oh, uh, this is what it means to rule and reign. This is David's tabernacle. This is the glory of God. What we were feeling today in worship, man, last night I'm like preparing and man, again, this might be a 16-week series, I don't know. But I'm like preparing, I'm like, God, and there's so many notes and things that I want to go through and then the Lord's like, yeah, okay, awesome, just trust me, I'll, I'll say all of that, but I want to speak to you about the nations. And I'm there, I'm going, God, I want to prepare, I want to share a good word for the house and God's going like, it's okay, I got you, but listen. Listen to what I'm doing. There's a sound. There's a sound right now that's washing across the nations. Can you hear it? There's a sound that precedes his glory. There's a sound that goes out. It's a call to the nations. Come. You know, this week... I'm going to be honest and just transparent because the reality is if, I, if there's one thing that's really hit me this week, it's that in our weakness, His power is made perfect. His grace is sufficient. It's like this week I've gone like, God, keep me weak. Keep me weak. Keep me soft. Keep me tender. Keep me... Because this week I was like, God, we did a three-day fast and a whole bunch of people got sick. I'm like, no one's going to want to fast again, you know? <laughs> Or you put this pressure, this expectation on yourself as if it's like it's my fault, you know? And to be honest, I didn't think anyone was going to come today. <laughs> and then I was ministered to seeing all of your faces, knowing that there's 30 to 40 people that are not here, and seeing the room packed. And the Lord said to me, He's like, I'm building my church. He said to me, Hey, you stick to the vision. Last night He began to minister to me, and He said this He said, What did I say to you? What did I give you? I said, Lord, you said apostolic people. 24-7 prayer and worship and a responsibility to preach the gospel to the nations. And he said, do it. Because I found myself going like, Lord, what are you doing? What's happening? Where are we going? And I don't know how to lead. And, you know, whining. You know that complaining is the language of fear? That's a Bill Johnson quote. But. <laughs> and so I began to just say, Lord, you know, I was just whining, just complaining. And the Lord just dropped in my heart, and he's like, do you think I'm, do you think I'm schizophrenic? Do you think I, I just like chop and change week to week? What's the word of the Lord over this house? And I went back to it. I said, okay, God, those three things, you said you're going to build that. He said, so do it. And then he took me to Haggai 2 and also to Zechariah. I want to read this over you. 
First, he took me to, to Haggai 2, verse 4. He said, but now be courageous, Zerubbabel, declares the Lord. Be courageous also, Joshua, the son of Jehozadak, the high priest. And be courageous, all of you people of the land. That's you. Declares the Lord. And work, for I am with you. That's what he said to me last night. Hey, work. I'm with you. Stay obedient. Stay the course. Stand firm. You know, I was going to, I was like, Lord, I, we're in the series, and should I preach on what happens when sickness comes? How do you deal with that? And the Lord said, just say one thing. What do you do when sickness comes? You know, I've been changing my language this week. I don't know what it was with this flu, with this COVID. I don't even care. It was two days. I felt sick, and it came to me, and I said, you know what? I've recovered, but COVID's still recovering. Because something, when the zeal of, of the Lord hits your body, oh, it's like, oh, you're going to regret that you touched me. And, and this is the thing. I said, what do you do when it comes? Exalt Jesus. The testimony I wanted to share earlier, um, they said I could share it, and they're probably watching online. Matt and Zoe um, came down with, with symptoms. They were sick, and um, their baby, Elijah, was also sick and had high fevers. And it was a little bit stressful, right? It's scary when it's your baby. So the temperatures were really high, and the Lord said, worship. And so they put worship on, they began to sing and worship, and little Elijah began to put his hands up, and he's worshiping. The next thing, he's smiling, and they go, whoa, you know, he, he looks good. And so they come and they test him, or they do the, the temperature test, and his temperature came back down to normal instantly. And suddenly, the two of them felt energy come into their bodies, and they were like, what the heck just happened? And they like, send me a voice note in tears, you know, just completely undone by the Lord, going like, we just worshiped, and Jesus is so good, and he's so faithful. What happens? See, like, I go like, oh, Lord, you know, oh, my goodness, a whole bunch of people are feeling sick, and I don't even want them to get tested because I don't even know, and we're online, and I'm saying this, but, you know, you go like, Lord, this is, oh, man, what's happening? And God goes like, just glorify me, just exalt me, and then we come into this room today, and we worship Jesus like that, and suddenly you go like, man, the enemy can't win. When we exalt Jesus, we just, we kick his butt every time. It's like, you, you poke me, you're going to get Jesus, so just come on. No longer I that live, but Christ in me. So you get this, Haggai 2, and then in Zechariah 4, this morning, Courtney was praying this, and I, I felt it again. Um, Zechariah 4, verse 6. Then he said to me, This continuous supply of oil is the word of the Lord to Zerubbabel, saying, Not by might, nor by power, but by my spirit, of whom the oil is a symbol, says the Lord. Listen to this. I love this part. What are you, a great mountain of obstacles? What are you, a great mountain? Before Zerubbabel, who will rebuild the temple, you will become a flat plain, insignificant. See what, what happens when we come into the government and the glory of God? You look at mountains and you say, who are you? It's not arrogance, it's confidence. You see, because weakness keeps you in that place of humility, and humility puts a confidence in God. And suddenly you can look at obstacles and go like, who are you? You don't understand who's my Lord. It says this, And he will bring out the capstone of the new temple with loud shouts of grace. Grace to it. God is building his temple. Revelation. Chapter 21. Sure.
Sure, the whole thing is so good. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and there is no longer any sea. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, arrayed like a bride adorned for her husband. That's you. And then I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, See, the tabernacle of God is among men, and he will live among them, and they will be his people, and God himself will be with them. And he will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and there will no longer be death, nor will there be uh, sorrow or anguish or crying or pain, for the former order of things. Listen to that. The former order of things has passed away. What is he saying? The former government, the former order, the former pattern has passed away, and the fullness of the government of heaven has been established. This is what we carry. This is what we're living in. This is what we're crying out for. This is why we sing Maranatha, come Lord Jesus. Maranatha doesn't just mean come Lord Jesus, second coming. It means you've come, you're coming, and you will come. Listen to this, verse 9. Then one of the seven angels who had the seven bowls filled with the seven final plagues came and spoke with me saying, come here, I will show you the bride, the wife of the Lamb. I don't know, you've got to read this and go, that's me. He's talking about me. <laughs> I'm the wife of the Lamb. Whew. Oh, there's so much in that. And so we find ourselves in this moment, beautiful 24-7 where God is changing the pattern, the order, the way in which we think and how we've done things. And I feel the tension all the time. You know what we should really do? We should be doing that because that's what churches normally do. And God's like, did I ask for that? And so when you ask him the questions, what do you want? And you begin to say, okay, Lord, we want to live in those things. Jesus builds his church. Jesus builds his church. I don't know why, Today, you're here, but it's because Jesus is building his church. He knows. He's building. Last night, it was funny as I was sharing Nana about this and, and how I was prepping and saying, God, help me, you know, sharpen this word. And I got all these notes. And I'm trying to figure out how to break it up into six weeks and all of this. And, and the Lord just goes like, man, I want to tell you about all the churches we're going to plant together. I want to tell you about Bolivia. I want to tell you about Turkey. I want to tell you about what's coming to Nepal. I want to tell you about North Africa. I want to tell you about Morocco. I want to tell you about the lovers of God in Alexandria that are faithfully ministering to Him in these little rooms. I want to tell you about these names and faces people have never heard of, these treasures and gifts to the body who are faithfully laying down their lives. I want to tell you about them. Will you pray? Will you stand with me? I want to, I want to tell you about my heart and my dream for my church. I want to tell you about what I desire. Then he took me to John 15. Apart from me, you can do nothing. Suddenly, I was like, man, God, there's a new breed of leadership that God's bringing through in the church. You know what it is? It's, it's people who follow the perfect leadership of Jesus. It's like the Lord is undoing me right now as a leader, and I'm, I'm sharing this with you because it's like He's unwinding me, and He's going like, I don't need you to have the answers. 
I don't need you to figure it out. I don't need you to get up there and be the guy that everyone can look to. Don't be another Moses. Submit to the leadership of Jesus. Walk in the finished work of God and be a witness and a vision of worship and the bride. That's what he's asking. He's saying this to you. He's saying, everywhere that you go, when you go to work tomorrow morning and you go like, there's so much going on in God, he's going like, I don't need you to know everything. I don't even need you to figure it out. I don't even need you to, to solve the problem. How about you just be a vision and a witness of worship and adoration? I said this at the Iris conference, uh, the, the Holy Fire conference. I said, man, God spoke to me about preaching. He said, if preaching is not unto worship, we're doing it wrong. <laughs> if, if people don't come away from hearing the word and go, I just, even if you don't even remember what I said today, but you come away going like, I must see him. I must be with him. I need to get into the word. I want to hear what he's saying. God, I'm in love with you. I don't even care. Lord, just have my life. Do what you want to do. See, it's this kind of people that are true lovers of God, where today he could pick me up and write history, and tomorrow he could put me down and never use me again, and I'd still be radically in love with him. Where today he could say, I want you to sell everything and go to Afghanistan. Or tomorrow, you might be a missionary, and tomorrow he goes, I want you to start this business for me. And you just go like, my life is yours, God. See, David, Psalm 132, I just want to read this very quickly. This is, this is what's happening to the church. When we catch what David saw, he said stuff like this. Well, this was said about him. Psalm 132, O Lord, remember on David's behalf all his hardship and affliction, how he swore to the Lord and vowed to the mighty one of Jacob, I absolutely will not enter my house nor get into my bed. I certainly will not permit my eyes to sleep nor my eyelids to slumber until I find a place for the Lord, a dwelling place for the mighty one of Jacob. Do you see David's heart? This isn't about David going like, I'm going to show you, I'm going to show you how much I love you, and I'm not going to even sleep until he's going like, can you hear the cry, the groan? This is the groan that's being awakened in the church. He's going, I won't rest, God, until we become a dwelling place for your glory, for your presence. God, I'm aching for you. This is what's happening. I've been like, Lord, I... I've been so moved just seeing what God's doing across the nations where there is something erupting in the church and it sounds like a groan. It's this groan of repentance, but it's more than just repentance. It's a groan and an ache and a longing for the fullness of Him. I've been hearing things of just how God's moving and, and, and there's so many, just numerous examples of what's happening now with the sound that's coming out of the house sounds like a delivery ward. It's this groan. You know, sometimes we're like going back and trying to replicate past revivals instead of saying, God, we're standing on the shoulders of what you've done in the past, but you are doing something new. And what's coming to the earth right now is preparing a bride for your glory. What does it look like? I think it looks like a groan right now. I think it looks like an awakening. I think it looks like, like an ache. See, that's, that's messy. It's uncomfortable. Whew. 
Verse 7, let us go into his tabernacle. Let us worship at his footstool. Arise, O Lord, to your resting place, you and the ark of your strength. Let your priests be clothed with righteousness and let your godly ones shout for joy. Man, I hope, I don't even know. I'm like, God, I don't even know how to communicate this. We've got six to 16 weeks to do it. <laughs> but the reality is what I pray today is that you get provoked. Provoked. See, it's a people like this. It's lovers. It's lovers of God that will stop at nothing until they see His kingdom established. You know, I have conversations with leaders, and it's like, you know, how do you get your church to tithe? I'm like, God, that, that the conversation is how do we get people to tithe? I'm like, are they seeing Jesus? Because when they see Jesus, the tithe is just a sign of lordship, but that is, it's just nothing in comparison, see, the true bride of Christ are standing before Him daily and saying, you must have all, everything. You could give me the world today and ask for it tomorrow, and I give it to you gladly because you are my treasure. You are my delight. And the shift is coming. Where it's not going to be like, do I believe in the prosperity thing, or do I believe in this, or do I believe in that? I'm wrapped up in Him, and He could give me billions today. And take it all tomorrow. And I'm so grounded in Him. I'm in love with Him. Nothing changes. My lifestyle doesn't change. The way I make decisions doesn't change. I'm living for the return of Jesus. Whew. See, this is why I promise you the enemy is so terrified of local churches realigning with the dream of God. Because the day is coming where you're going to see every splintered expression of the church that had to, where people had to do things because the church stopped doing what she was born for. You're going to see them come together in a oneness that's happening right now. In a oneness, in submission to one another, where God's government will be established in His house and in His church. True sons and daughters, and then you're going to see glory and power like we've never seen before. And then you're going to see churches planted at a rate that we've never seen before. I don't think you understand what I'm talking about. Do you get it that 3.2 billion people can be reached today? We hear that number and we go like, oh, probably a couple more generations. Do you know that the millennials were the first generation in history that have the stats, the numbers, the, the, the finances, the ability to get there? They know where they are. They know how to get there. They know the languages they speak. They know everything. They're equipped with everything they need to go. The only thing that's missing is yes. That's why we're going to do a school, a frontier mission school. We're going to train up missionaries and send people. And I don't care if you go for a weekend or if you go for five years. Go. Do you know that there's not a single person, I've never met anybody who's been on a missions trip and come back and said, that's not for me. The only people who say that I'm not called to nations are people who've never been. I promise you, not one person, and this is what I say, people go, I don't know if that's my assignment, just come with me one weekend. Just come with me, then come back and then tell me that. It's like, I, before they said, I would have, just shh, come. Because the reality is you might have an assignment in business and God's called, I believe that. God has called people. We need finances to reach them. 
You have assignments to reach people in business. You have, you have assignments to preach the gospel right here in this city every day. God's given you those things, but I promise you, just, just come. Because you might come away from a weekend and go like, man, I, I, we got to get people there. Or you might go, i got to go twice a year. Or God's spoken to my heart. I go, You'll know. And I've said this to our guys before, I promise you, when you catch this, David's tabernacle, when you catch his government, when you catch his glory, the question is not, should I go? The question is, should I stay? People come and go, well, you know, that's not for me. Well, don't come and say that until you've been in his presence with a map on the floor and you've wept over the nations and said, God, which one? Then you can come. Because God has called people and assigned people to this city. That's why you're here. I don't know if you realize that. You're in Joburg because you're here on mission. You're not here because there's work here. If you live here because there's work here, you're going to struggle with depression and anxiety and all of those things because work and money has become your Lord. But if you're here because God's put me here, and if He hasn't put you here, make sure you go and seek Him because I promise you I've got lots of places to send you. I've been in these nations and I've wept. Ask my mom and dad. I've video called them and said, I'm not coming home. Because I've seen it. I've been there. God, the work. And God's like, I need you in Jobo because this is what I'm building. This is what I'm building. And we're going to build an apostolic center, an apostolic base here. We're going to train and send. And God said to me, I'm going to show you a new type of leadership where you're going to raise up healthy shepherds, healthy leaders that are going to come and go. There's the coming and the going, a rendezvous point for the nations. That's what God's building in 24-7. That, on that land, we had prophetic words of a landing strip, planes coming in and going out, people running in with their luggage, putting their luggage at the door, diving into His presence, encountering God, then running off to get the next plane. This isn't about filling, filling uh, uh, auditoriums. This is about filling people with God. Do you see, I'm looking at some of your eyes and you, you, now you're getting it. Some of, I can see it's like, oh my goodness. That's how I feel every day when I talk. Like, it's the dream of God that starts to come alive in the church. Are you with me? See, when we talk like this, the, the whining and the complaining and the selfish ambition and stuff like that goes out the window. People who talk like this and have this vision and this heart, they're not the ones who come in and go like, I don't feel loved yet. You don't hear that in that group of people. You don't hear people coming and challenging and, and offended and, and trying to stir up trouble. Or you don't see that. Why? Because they're like, we're given to this thing. It's like, man, what are we? Okay, right now my assignment is I teach at a school. So I'm going into that school. The church is at work, baby. <laughs> don't say baby, just. <laughs> you come in there and you're like, man, God just signed me at this school. Why? To disciple a nation. See, those people aren't afraid to lose their jobs because their job's not their source. Now, you don't understand, I can't risk for God because I've got to pay the bills. What you just said is your job is God. Your job is your Lord. Your job is your source. What makes you different from your colleagues? See, and you go like, dude, that's a little bit intense. Well, let me take you back to the first thousand years of the church and let me tell you about how many martyrs. Let me tell you about how people couldn't get jobs just by being associated with Christ. Let me tell you how people couldn't even walk into shopping malls without offering a sacrifice to Caesar and so Christians couldn't even go shopping. Let me tell you about how Christians had to form communities and farm together to feed each other. (laughs) 
And so David's tabernacle. (laughs) What we're coming back to as a church is simply the lordship of Christ in our lives, in our community, where we are built around his presence. It's why they camped around the tabernacle. God's design has been there all along. He's saying, you're, you're meant to be a people built on my presence. When my presence and my power and the pattern of my government are at work in the church, you will see transformation. And let me just say this. The kingdom of God advancing on the, on the earth is not us saving society as it is. It's not us fixing the systems and structures of this world. We go like, yeah, kingdom, you know, kingdom business, kingdom this is about us fixing the system. No, it's not. It's about people getting saved, healed, delivered, and restored, renewed back to their father, saved into the kingdom, because all of this is coming down. And God's going to build a new one. So yes, God can operate in in blessing and prosperity. Guess why? So you can reach more people. We're made to run together. I believe that when God pours out blessing and abundance on your life, it's because He trusts us to be good stewards for the purposes of His dream and His glory. I love the blessing of God. I love enjoying what He gives us, but my heart cannot be tied to it. And I'll just end with this. There is a joy that comes when we forsake all else but possess God. That's true joy. When you forsake all else but you possess God. Quick example, Abraham. Everybody wants to use Abraham when it comes to prosperity, but nobody wants to take their son up the mountain and be ready to kill him because God said so. See, what happened with Abraham... God said, bring Isaac. I want you to give him back to me. Sacrifice your son, the promise. It's the promise that I gave you. I want you to give it back to me. And Abraham has to get to the place where he literally is coming down with the knife. He's made the decision in his heart. It's done. Do you get it? God didn't wait for Abraham to go. (laughs) It it was a decision. Abraham made the decision and he, he was coming down. That's it. And then God interrupts him. Why? Because he has his heart. Do you know that from that day, I believe, when I study Abraham's life, Abraham possessed nothing, though he was a very wealthy man. Because he learned something in that moment. Everything that I have is yours. And you could take it like this, and rightfully so. That's freedom. That's joy. There's a joy that comes in that place where the promise is fulfilled. So good. Thank you, Holy Spirit.